Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey, the World Juniors. This is Brad Lambert from Team Finland. I'm Oscar Olesen from Team Sweden. Hey, this is Dylan Grand. Hi, I'm Lane Hudson from the U.S. National Team. Dion Mishak. Fabian Lucell. Cole Perfetti. Hey, it's Jake Sanson. I play for Team USA. Major Junior. Hey, this is Matthew Kachuk of the London Knights. I'm Jonathan Yerudo from the St. John's Sea Dogs. Kirby Dock of the Saskatoon Blades. Hey, it's Alex Dabrinkit from the Erie Otters. Gerald Dubois from the Cape Breton Screen Eagles. It's Zachary LaRue from the Halifax Mooseheads. This is John Gunther of the Emerson Oil Kings. NCAA. Hey, this is Noah Hannafin from Boston College. Hey, it's Troy Terry from the Denver Pioneers. Quinn Hughes from the University of Michigan. This is Brock Faber from the University of Minnesota. It's Dylan Hollis from the Wisconsin Badgers. The NHL Draft. U.S. Lovkovsky from TPS. Hey, this is Kevin Krasinski of the Seattle Thunderbirds. Hey, guys, it's Cutter Goche from the U.S. National Team. Hi, it's Matt Savoy with the Winnipeg Ice. Hey, this is Sarah Manzel from Shaska High School. Nessa Goche, I play for the Quebec Ramparts. This is Ty Nelson from the North Bay Battalion. Hey, it's Dylan James from the Sioux City Musketeers. This is Rieger Lorenz from the Okotoks Oilers. And more. And welcome to the Pipeline Show. And this is the Pipeline Show. The Pipeline Show. Pipeline Show. Pipeline Show. The Pipeline Show. Welcome to the Pipeline Show. My name is Guy Flaming. I'm thrilled to have you on board with this week's episode, which is coming out a day early, and I'll tell you why. It's because the NCAA National Tournament gets going on Thursday, which is the target for when this episode is going to come out. In fact, I know it's coming out on Thursday because today is Thursday. It's Thursday morning. This is going to be a quick opening segment because I just want to get the show together and out in time as the National Tournament gets going a little bit later today. The Pipeline Show is brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best beef jerky. Three locations in the Edmonton area where you can go and uh, pick up your beef jerky in person. That would be in Leduc or Spruce Grove or at the kiosk in West Edmonton Mall. But the good news is if you're in Western Canada, you can go to their website at wilhockbeefjerky.com and they will ship it to you any order, any size, anywhere in Western Canada. That's WilhawkBeefJerky.com, W-I-L-H-A-U-K, BeefJerky.com. Okay, we're going to move quickly. We're going to look at the uh, updated standings in uh, the CHL and a couple while the Alberta Junior Hockey League playoffs are underway, and we'll check in on the USHL and the NAL as well. And then we're going to get right to the show because we're not going to talk college hockey in this opening segment because the rest of the show is NCAA hockey. So uh, let's start in the queue where the story's leading up. Uh, in the last weekend here of uh, CHL regular season play, it's a tie atop the Western Conference and a tie atop the Eastern Conference. That's awesome. Uh, Sherbrooke and Gatineau both with 101 points. Quebec and Halifax with 105. So there are lots to be decided here on the final weekend. Uh, and not only that, but there are three teams fighting for the last two playoff spots as well. Uh, the BB Armada, Val d'Or, and St. John all basically tied. 52 points for the BB Armada and Valdor, 53 for St. John. Valdor has played one more game, though. They only have one left. So right now, if you're a betting man or woman, it's looking better for the Armada and the Sea Dogs. In the Ontario Hockey League, and I told you we were going to move quick, no real story at the top of the conferences outside of the Western Conference in the 2-3 spot as London and Sarnia separated by one point. They've both got three games left. And that one's important because it's likely a second-round matchup, and that will determine who has home ice advantage. 
Only one question remains in the OHL in terms of which teams are going to get in, and that's in the East, Oshawa or Kingston. Oshawa has a one-point advantage. They both have two games left to go, and the great news is they play each other. The last game of the season could be decided right there. That's awesome. In the Western Hockey League, we know who the eight teams are in the Western Conference. In fact, we know the first-round uh, matchups already in the Western Conference. Nothing left to be decided here on uh, the final weekend. It will be Seattle against Kelowna. Kamloops hosting the Vancouver Giants. Portland will get Everett. And uh, Tri-City will have to go up to Prince George to play the Cougars. But in the East, lots still to be determined. And there's only two games left to go. Lethbridge is in the number five spot. But technically, Regina can catch them. They both have two games left. Everybody has two games left. If Regina wins both and Lethbridge doesn't win either, doesn't pick up a point, the Pats would actually catch and, I believe, pass them in the standings. Meanwhile, the same can be said for Calgary, who is chasing Regina. Four points back, two games to go. Calgary is playing against Edmonton this weekend, a home-and-home series against the Oil Kings. The Medicine Hat Tigers currently in eighth, but they have a home-and-home series against the team right behind them, the Swift Current Broncos. Now, there are three points between them, Swift Current has to win both games. I'm pretty sure that if they end up tied in the standings, like if Swift Current gets a win and an overtime loss, and they would have a tie in points, then it would go to a single-game playoff, which would be very exciting. Can update you on the Alberta Junior Hockey League playoffs into the second round now. It hasn't started yet. It starts this weekend. The uh, Brooks Bandits, the heavy favorites, they have the Okotoks Oilers. Black Balls will take on the Drumheller Dragons. Spruce Grove in the north is the number one seed. They've got the Sherwood Park Crusaders, and the White Court Wolverines will square off against the Bonneville Pontiacs. Still some time to go in the USHL. The top squad in uh, the Eastern Conference is Chicago, and in first place in the West is Fargo. And if those two teams happen to meet in the Clark Cup, it would be Fargo with home ice advantage. They have eight more points than Chicago and a game in hand still. Nothing really left to be decided except seeding the U.S. National Development Program in Youngstown tied for second in the East with 65 points. Also worth mentioning that the the U18 team from the program, well, they're focused on the uh, World U18s. So if and when the uh, playoffs start and the uh, program is involved, uh, those guys won't be there. It'll be the U17s playing in the playoffs for the most part. I'd have to double-check the dates on that. I know the USHL playoffs, very short, it's like three weekends but I think there would be an overlap there. I'll have to double-check. Uh, meanwhile, Green Bay, Dubuque, and Cedar Rapids, they are sitting all tied for fourth uh, with 58 points, and all have played 51 games. So a little bit to be decided there. And uh, lastly, in the North American Hockey League, the division leaders uh, are they're going to be the division leaders at the end of it. It's, it's not really close anywhere except in the Midwest. Austin has a 13-point lead over uh, North Iowa in the Central. Maryland has a an 11-point lead over New Jersey uh, and Maine in the East. Oklahoma, they're the number one team in the North American Hockey League. A 798 winning percentage. Great season for the Warriors. Uh, they're ahead of the Lone Star Brahmas in second place by 12 points. That's in the South Division. And the Wisconsin Windigo are up by four on the Minnesota Wilderness in the Midwest. So that's the only one that's a little bit close. Notice the Danbury Junior Hattricks, uh, just a... A real forgettable season there. Uh, just three wins on the year. They have 13 points, 45 losses in 55 games. 
uh, and that's not including the overtime and shootout losses. They've only won three games out of 55. Their goal differential is minus 142. That's a tough year in Danbury. All my guests join me courtesy the Troubled Monk Hotline. Go to troubledmonk.com slash shop. See what they have to offer. If you are in Alberta, you can go to your local liquor store and pick up your favorites right there. Or if you want to uh, place a bigger order, you can do that online at troubledmonk.com slash shop. Go pick up at the Farmer's Market in Calgary or Edmonton and right at the tap room in Red Deer as well. Whatever is most convenient for you. My guest today and the order that we're going to do it, we're going to start with uh, Paula Weston from USCHO. She is going to be our guest looking at the regional in Allentown, which features Michigan against Colgate, Penn State against Michigan Tech. From Allentown, we're going to Manchester, New Hampshire. Jimmy Connolly, also from USCHO. He'll be working on the broadcast for ESPN. Denver is taking on Cornell, Boston University, and Western Michigan will play on the other side of that regional. From there, it's off to Bridgeport, Connecticut where we have Quinnipiac against Merrimack and Harvard and Ohio State. Oh, Adam Woden from College Hockey News is going to be our guest to uh, tackle that regional. And we will end it today with uh, Mick Hatton from The Rink Live. He is going to be in Fargo, where it's going to be Minnesota against Canisius and St. Cloud State against Minnesota State. When I post the links for this show, when it comes out, I'm going to take a picture of my bracket, and I hope that you will do the same and uh, reply to me with it, and then we can all... uh, compare notes and see who does the best that will be a little bit of fun i waited until i was done having all these conversations to post uh, to make my selections on my bracket a couple of games changed but uh, that's why i like to have the insiders on the show all right let's get right to it next it's paula weston from uscho as we kick off the ncaa national tournament preview show right here on the pipeline show brought to you by willock beef jerky adam fantilli Spins a pass, though. Samuskevich up high, scores! The Stingray in overtime, up high! Pierce is won by Corpy, and Chicago wins a thriller. 4-3, Mackie Samoskevich, welcome back, Stingray! Hey, this is Mackie Samoskevich from the Chicago Steel, and this is the Pipeline Show. Since 1965, Wilhawk Beef Jerky has provided fresh, top-quality beef jerky made with 100% Alberta beef. From your very first bite, you'll understand that real jerky isn't found at the convenience store. It's tender, full of flavor, with just a hint of subtle spices. Wilhawk's jerky is aged, seasoned, and marinated to lock in the flavors, and then smoked to perfection. Wilhawk Beef Jerky. It might just be the best you've ever tasted. Try for yourself. Search W-I-L-H-A-U-K today. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. And boom goes the dynamite. We are back on The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming, the program brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky, but the college hockey segments, all of them, brought to you by College Hockey, Inc. If you're a player or you have one in your family and you have some questions what you need to uh, do or not do uh, to maintain your eligibility, uh, get in contact with Mike Snee or any of the crew over at College Hockey Inc. and check out their website at collegehockeyinc.com. All right, we are setting up the uh, NCAA National Tournament this week here on the program. Uh, all four segments, all four guest segments at least, 
Uh, we'll have a, a different uh, pundit uh, to come on and uh, break down each regional. And uh, it's going to be a pants party in Allentown as we're going to talk about uh, <laughs> the four teams that are in Allentown. Michigan is taking on Colgate, Penn State uh, going up against Michigan Tech. And to uh, bring us up to speed on all of that, the wonderful Paula Weston from USCHO. Paula, welcome back to the show. Well, thank you very much. It's been a very long time since I've been invited to a pants party. I can't believe I'm saying that. <laughs> that is <laughs> nor, a... nor have I ever been called a pundit, so, you know, it's quite a banner day. <laughs> hey, well, look at that. Only the really long-time listeners will get the whole pants party right, joke. Um, right, uh, right. That's good. Well, might have to pull that one out for a best-of show one day. Um, okay, <laughs> we look at the four teams that are in Allentown, and I think, well, the number one seed is the number one seed for a reason. Uh, the Michigan Wolverines are a very good team. I guess we should probably start there. Uh, when you look at that club, what immediately jumps out at you, Paula? Oh man, there's so much. Like, like the first thing that that comes to my mind, of course, is how super talented they are. Like, it, it is it is surreal. I, I mean, I, I've been covering college hockey for a long time, and I've been covering the Wolverines for as long as I've been covering college hockey. And and I don't think that I've ever seen a team as loaded as this team. Having said that, though, <laughs> the thing that that stands out to me about them all season long is how they've been able to outscore any mistakes they make, right? Like they just, I I look back at their semifinal series against Wisconsin where they allowed a lot of goals each night. I don't have the scores right in front of me, but they, they had to tie up against Wisconsin, which was the last place team in the big 10 in the last minute of the first night. And then they won in overtime. And then the second night they were tied or they were trailing actually into the last three minutes of the game and scored three goals in three Mm -hmm. minutes. And they were five on five goals. They weren't empty net goals. And, and you know, it, it, they they do that all season long, and I admire that, right? Their their confidence and their ability to come from behind like that and to, to take any game. But I have to wonder if that isn't something that isn't going to bite them in NCAA play. Twelve drafted players uh, on this roster, uh, including oh, yeah. three New Jersey Devils on the back end, and uh, and a goaltender in Eric Portillo, who was uh, drafted by the LA Kings. And I guess if yep. if we're looking for well, a potential hiccup along the way this season for them. Goaltending for them hasn't been as good as in the past. Portillo himself, this is has hasn't been a banner year for him. No, is that a concern? I think so. And but you know, I think it's unfair to lay it all on his his at his feet too, because it is a team thing, right? With them, and I'm not being you know kind of you know nice rhetorically about that. It really is a team defense thing, and and it's partly in how they play. They want those fast breaks. They want to to break it out all the time. They love to score. It's like watching racehorses, right? And they, and so they, so they've got, um, they've, they've got this mentality that they can always break out, but that often leaves him hanging. And, and it, and sometimes they're not very good in their own end either. Um, just even without that sort of, you know, breakneck speed, the other way philosophy, sometimes they're just not very good in their own end and they are young. I mean, not to make excuses for any of it because, you know, they're the number one seed there and they are they are contenders for a national title. But they but they are really, really young too, and sometimes their emotions get the worst of them. They're the most penalized team in the Big Ten for a reason. You know, and, and you know what it's like that you know, teams that, that are passionate teams have to play, you know, they harness that emotion but it can get out of hand and so their penalty kill is terrible. Like it's one of the worst in the, in the country. And so I think it's unfair to give it all to Pertillo, and I think that partly the the style of play in front of him 
make make him a little uneasy. And I'm I'm I don't know. I've never talked to him about it, but that's what it looks like to me sometimes. Is that he looks a little rattleable sometimes. You make a good point about their age. They have three 18 year olds on the roster. Yeah. That's that's very unusual to have an 18 year old playing college hockey these days, let alone yep. three of them uh, on your team. Yeah. I don't know if inexperience is the right word or not, because these are all talented players for sure. But mm-hmm. at this stage, they haven't been here, those three guys at least. And there are other young players on this team as well who haven't gone through the national tournament process like this. Can it be overwhelming? Oh, absolutely. And, and that's the thing, right? You've got, you've got, if guys, if you've got guys on your team who have been through this, then, then they know what to tell younger guys to expect in terms of pitfalls, right? And there are guys on the team that have, no question. Um, but, the, but it, it is, Yes, it can definitely be daunting, especially I, I really like Michigan's freshmen. And, and I know we're not going to be talking about Minnesota, but I, I really like their freshmen as well. And it's sort of an analogous thing. Um, they have a, a very young and, and big freshman class, too. Um, but you got they get they can be overwhelmed by the experience and Michigan's especially. And they've been through so much this season. I mean, they had, you know, Stephen Holtz, a defenseman who nearly died. Um, he was in the hospital with a dental virus and then you've got his coma, you know, an induced coma. And then you've got like not up to, I think up to nine other players on the team. They haven't released an official number that were also really sick and several were hospitalized for a little bit. And, and then they come off this, this, you know, the, the strangeness that happened with Mel Pearson, their last coach and a scandal that was involved with that and mm-hmm. some allegations of, of, of emotional and verbal abuse. And so they, you know, it's, it's been a really weird season. Now granted the freshmen weren't, you know, didn't experience that stuff last year, but, but there's a, there's gotta be some sort of emotional behavioral hangover from that at the first, at the start of the year. So there's just a lot and they're really emotional. So we'll see what happens. I know when I talk to a lot of the coaches uh, for the frozen four coaches show, we talk about adversity that their team may have gone through and how that makes them a better team. When you look at Michigan, They've gone through a lot of adversity going back to their previous have, coaching staff. That's that's something it, that maybe can be a rallying point for this team. Oh, I agree. I, I think it's one of the things that's carried them through parts of the season too. It's it's. But with them, I think since they are so, um, they really are. They can be really volatile, and I think it's they're still learning how to contain that emotion. Although I will say this: that in the Big Ten tournament, the title game, they were fantastic mm-hmm. against a Minnesota team, which I think is arguably the best team in the country. They it was a tight game. It was a controlled game. Um, so maybe they have figured that out at this point. And they certainly are playing for each other. If you talk to any of the guys on the team, they are, they're a very tight squad and that can certainly work in their favor. All right. I mentioned 12 drafted players. A lot of them are very big names that people would recognize. I wonder if there's a guy who isn't drafted and I don't mean Adam Fantilli because we know he's going to be one of the top picks (laughs) in the draft, but is there a guy on the, on the roster that maybe goes under the radar just because of how much uh, name recognition there is? Uh, for the other players um, already, I'm like, who, who's a who's a secret weapon? Uh, I'll, I'll throw out a name, uh, T.J. Hughes, who biasly because he's Canadian, he played here in the right, Alberta Junior right, Hockey League. But right. a guy like that could be a difference maker, and he's not one of those uh, guys who's necessarily a, a household name. I agree, and of course, whenever you mention his name to college hockey folks, you have to, you know, the caveat: he's not related, you know, no relation, right? Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Other, right. To the other Hughes brothers, right? I mean, and 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 so he is definitely. He's definitely a, a playmaker who can who can um, 
who can make a difference. And maybe, and maybe with him too, and watching his progress, it's been because he hasn't had the attention on him that other guys have had that has be- he has become like a steadier player for that mm-hmm. team. All right, we can't spend the entire segment talking about uh, Michigan, so let's move on to some of the other teams. They're playing Colgate, who uh, it's just such a great story that Don Vaughn finally gets a, a, yeah. a conference championship 30 years behind the bench of the Raiders. Seriously. Uh, and it all comes together this year. I mean, if you're looking for good stories and, and things to cheer for uh, or get behind a team for, that's got to be one of them. Oh, he's one of the nicest guys in college hockey, too. Mm-hmm. And, it, it, you know, he just really is. He's He's just... A terrific guy. It's a, it is a great story. My familiarity with Colgate is really small. I watched them during. I, I mean, I I monitored their their semifinal series against St. Lawrence, and then I watched them last weekend, and they looked fantastic. And that's that is um, should be a concern for Michigan that they looked they looked tight defensively. Granted, Michigan is a team that can walk through anybody's defense if they if they have it together, but. Um, yeah, it's it's the, like I said, they're not a team that I really am familiar with. And in the ECAC, most of the attention had been on Quinnipiac, yeah. you know, and and Cornell, and um, you know, and a little bit earlier in the season, I had seen some games. I'd like Clarkson a little bit, uh, and Colgate was the fifth seed, and so I think they really surprised everybody, and and so I think they are an unknown um, in terms of a national uh, presence, certainly, and. Um, I, I, you know, I don't think that anybody knows what to expect other than they played really hard, smart hockey in that tournament. And the fact that they could beat Quinnipiac. Yeah. That tells me everything, you know, although Quinnipiac, you know, toward the end, I thought that they, they dipped a little bit in, you know, in the last couple of weeks for reasons that, you know, you know, I don't know. Um, they're a very good team. I'm sure they will recover, but, but that Colgate could beat them and they have this momentum going in, right? I mean, it is, and the interesting thing about that match, too, is that you've got two teams that have won their conference title hitting, you know, butting up against each other. And that, so that each of them carries that momentum in. It should be very interesting. If Colgate can slow down Michigan's game and prevent them from scoring, then Colgate has a very good chance of upsetting the Wolverines. If, if I look at the two rosters, and we mentioned 12 drafted players for Michigan, there's only two drafted players for uh, for the Raiders. Both of them are Canadian, by the way, and both of them uh, are, are from <laughs> Alberta, where I live. Carter Guylander is their goaltender, six foot five. He's had a terrific yeah. season. Uh, and I might give Colgate the edge in, the, at, in this game at that position. The other drafted player is Alex Young, uh, who's a San Jose yeah. draft pick. Uh, played for the Canmore Eagles in the uh, AJHL. I know most listeners to uh, the college hockey segments might not uh, care much about that, but I like to pump that out there when I can. <laughs> He's a really talented player as well, but they just don't have the offensive depth. So you think the key for them to right. winning is to try to slow it down and maybe clog it up a bit? They have to. They have to keep the score. They, they, there's no way they're going to outscore Michigan. Nobody is, and so they're going to have to. They're going to have to keep them from scoring, and, and then and. Keeping them from scoring on good chances with a really good goaltender in that is going to frustrate them, and they will take penalties. That's another aspect of the game that that a lot of us don't talk about a whole lot before the tournament is that you know they're going to be playing with referees that that they're not familiar with both teams, right? So mm-hmm. so they're not necessarily going to know how things are going to be called, and you you know you might get a crew that that does things in in ways that are unfamiliar to you or that you don't like, and. And I can see Michigan getting frustrated if they're if they can't score. I can see them getting frustrated, and then that 
sort of steamrolling, especially since their penalty kill is not good. And you're right. I do think that Colgate has the, the nod in net for sure, for sure. Uh, and I, I, you mentioned Michigan's penalty kill is terrible, so I would have to assume yeah. that uh, power plays, if Colgate can capitalize on maybe a couple of power play goals, that could be the yep. difference right there too. That could absolutely be the difference in the game. That's in, in, in if Colgate wins this game, that's what I see happening, right, is that they somehow stymie Michigan five on five, Michigan takes penalties, they score on the power play. That's exactly what I see happening. And then and then you get a very uncharacteristically low scoring game for Michigan. Hmm. Because there's no way there's no way they're going to beat them in a shootout. And I don't mean in a, you know, post game shootout, I mean like, you know, in like an okay corral right. shootout. Right. There's no way they're going to do that. So that's the only way that I can see that happening. And to take nothing away from Colgate, I mean, this this Michigan team is just loaded. Yeah, that said, Michigan will be the heavy favorite uh, in that game, mm-hmm. I'm sure. All mm-hmm. right, let's go mm-hmm. to uh, the other side of the uh, the regional, and that's going to see Penn State taking on Michigan Tech, the Huskies, yeah. uh, against yeah. the Nittany Lions. That's a really interesting match, by the way. Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting because both of them have had time away, right? I mean, uh, the Nittany Lions haven't played since, what, March 5th? and the Huskies since March 11th. Right. You know, so both of them have had time. Both will be a little rusty. Um, it, and it should be very interesting, especially since, you know, you know, Michigan Tech's got Blake Patella in that, who's a, amazing. I mean, he's just a, a phenomenal college goaltender that does not get enough attention. And, um, you know, and Penn State likes to score. I mean, they're not the Penn State of... of pre-COVID days when they were when they were scoring at will from every place on the ice, but they still put up a lot of shots on net. That's always their philosophy. They want an open game. They want they want like they want to go up and down the ice. They want to shoot all the time. Um and it'll be very interesting to see how very interesting to see how how Michigan Tech responds to that and does what they can to sort of change the tenor and the pace of that game. For Penn State, uh, under Guy Gadowski, another Canadian who's mm-hmm. actually from Edmonton. Uh, so, again, shouting that out. Uh, this is a team started out pretty well, but really yep. struggled in the second half of the season. And as you said, I mean, they they, both of these teams uh, are coming in off after losses. So it's not exactly like either one of them is uh, riding a, a winning streak or something, but Penn State really seems like they've been floundering here in the last uh, couple of months. They do. And, you know, well, and part of that is, is, it, honestly in part that's because of the big 10 it it is it was an incredible season in big 10 hockey and and some of the best that i've covered ever and you know when the big 10 was formed in 20 2014 they wanted to uh you know they thought it was going to be this big super conference and it took forever i think for that to sort of begin to realize itself because it's got more um for folks who don't know it's got more you know financial resources and and a and a much higher profile, like a public profile than the other, than some of the other conferences. And, and um, they really thought that they were going to be this sort of super um, conference for a long time. And that just didn't happen. And this season, I think we really, really saw that you had the top six teams in the season or uh, in, in the conference out of seven were in NCAA contention until the very last, mm-hmm. You know, it, it, you know, it is a conference that could have had another team, either Michigan State or Notre Dame, easily 
in. And it, those are two teams that are probably better than some of the teams that are in the conference, that are in the tournament right now. And it's not to suggest that they should be there, not at all. But but they were playing at a caliber that certainly where they could have, you know, they could be, you know, they could be very competitive in this field. And so Penn State, and, and the way it works in the Big Ten is the Big Ten um, regular season, their, their conference season play really doesn't start until sort of the toward the end, a little bit toward the end of the uh, the first half of the season. And so it's all big time in the second half and there's only seven teams. So they're constantly beating up on each other. And you've got teams like Minnesota who didn't lose many games and in conference and Michigan that slowly got better over the second half and sort of pulled themselves up from like sixth and, and fifth place up to second. And then, and then you've got, you know, they're competing against teams like Ohio state and, and Michigan state and Notre Dame and, and, um, yeah, it was. I think that that really had something to do with it. That having been said, um, they did look a step off. I think in the second half, they didn't look off in their three-game semifinal series against Ohio State. The Buckeyes won that, but I thought Penn State played really well. Um, but they also look better than they have since before COVID. So the two seasons after COVID were not kind to Penn State at all. And Guy Godowski has been very vocal about why that was, that that it was not the kind of coaching that he wanted to do during that 2021 season when it was, you know, truncated and nobody could be around each other. And um, and, and that really hurt the, his team. And now they're getting back to where they were. And so, you know, it, and they're playing the kind of hockey that they want to play. And, and so it will be interesting to see if they come out of this little gap that they've had, this little time off that they've had refreshed and renewed and, and wanting to like and able to prove something or if, if they come out rusty and they just don't have it in the tank. And so that will be very interesting. They don't have as many double digit goal scorers as they have had in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is, I think something that uh, hurts them a little bit because they, they, like a lot like Michigan, they rely on sort of overwhelming you with offense. I would argue that Penn State, when you look at them, not a lot of rain, name recognition unless you're a fan of the Nittany Lions or the Big Ten uh, Conference in general. Kevin Wall is a drafted player, leads them in scoring sixth-round draft picks, so it's not like you know, a lot of casual NHL fans will recognize the name anyway. Uh, who leads, right. uh, like who are the go-to guys on this team if they're going to uh, move forward in this tournament? Who are they going to be counting on? Well, I know they're going to be counting on Solier and Net, especially, and the, and it's and it, and I I hate to go to a goaltender for that kind of emphasis, but he is really sort of the key to how well they they advance in the next couple of well, if they advance at all, and, and partly because they play that open that wide open kind of style of hockey, where they like to leave their goalie hanging, right, and um and they love to go back and forth up and down the ice. I'm trying to think of other names right now, and I can't. I'm drawing a blank. Isn't that terrible? I think I'm having a senior moment. Well, I kind of think that's the point when it comes to Penn State. It's not <laughs> like they're here, but there's it, uh, their second leading scorer. His last name is Linden. Is his first name? Yep. Oh yeah, Tory Linden. Yes. It's yes. Of Torrey. course. That's okay. exactly what I was trying to think of. I'm like, I'm like, who's the guy? Who's the Scandinavian guy? The second guy. Isn't that terrible? Yes. And he's he's quite good. He's quite good. But they've only got a trio of scorers that that are above. Uh, double digits in scoring. So they're not, right. they, and they're not, and in the past too, in the past few seasons, they've, well, perhaps not last season, but in, in seasons past when they were very successful, they had, um, you know, 
an offense that was among the top in the country, always in the top 10 in terms of goal scoring, and they are not now. And and I think that that is something that is is going to be, I think it, it goes to their identity. It hurts their identity a little bit, that they see themselves as this high-scoring team, this team that can, like Michigan, sort of overcome mistakes by just putting another puck in the net, and they may not have the ability to do that. They may score by committee, but they might not have, as many goals as they like. So does Guy Gadowski go back to his Princeton roots and play a little bit more defensive orientated then to, uh, to, to advance? Oh, I don't think so. No, I, I don't. I really don't. I think he, I, I think that he had to in the last two seasons. And I think that that's the last thing he wants to do. Now he's a smart coach. Mm-hmm. He's a, you know, and, and so if that's what has to happen in game, it will. But I, I don't see that happening. He's he's another guy that, that coaches with a lot of emotion. And I've always been of the mind that, you know, a, a coach's emotional personality sort of, you know, sort of imbues the entire team with a similar kind of personality. And and it works for many coaches. And and with Gadowski, it definitely does. He's a very emotional guy. He's very passionate. He he, he understands the 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 need for restraint, you know, so that you don't take stupid penalties. Right. But he really wants his guys out there completely leaving everything on the ice, every single game, every single shift and, and emotionally, not just physically. And and I think that if, if they have to, if they become constrained, then they will definitely play defensive hockey, but that's not what he wants to do. And that certainly isn't going to be the game plan going into that game. Paula Weston is my guest uh, from USCHO. Okay. So that's uh, Penn state. They are taking on, the uh, Michigan Tech Huskies. Yes. Uh, Kyle Kukinen is the uh, CCHA Freshman of the Year. Uh, he is one of two drafted players on the team, so not a lot of, again, name recognition for uh, for casual fans. Uh, but this is a good team. This is a team that was uh, really competitive all throughout the season. Uh, tell me some of the standout uh, names from them. Again, I cannot. <laughs> but I can, I can tell you that they have a fantastic goaltender, yes. right? I mean... And and he is he is he is an extraordinary goaltender. He's he's I mean he he he's the kind of goalie that can steal a game. And I don't know that there are that many goaltenders that can steal a game in this tournament. Certainly not in this bracket. And so that's something to look at. I think he's definitely the best goaltender in Allentown for the. And I I know that the other three teams would be very upset for me saying so, but he is. And so he is he's the kind of guy who can steal a game for you. And and he may have to if if. If Penn State comes out with some vigor and overwhelms, you know, Michigan Tech, then he might have to be on his game just to keep them in it early in that game. Um, but, you know, I don't know. And I watched, you know, this is the shame of it is that I, you know, I didn't pay as much attention to to CCHA hockey as I probably should have this season. But, I, and, and you know, Michigan, I'm in Michigan. So, you know, I'm delighted that Michigan Tech is there. Mm-hmm. But it, it's, it's, they just, I knew they were doing well and it's like, they seem to be doing well. And I looked up their stats yesterday and I'm like, huh, they're doing good. I mean, they're, they're good, you know, not like nothing overwhelmingly fantastic. Right. Um, uh, they have a really good defense. Um, they might have a good penalty kill if I recall correctly. I should have taken notes, right. (laughs) (laughs) But he, but they are, but they are, um, I know that that that's a league too, that was sort of a two tiered kind of a league actually kind of the way it was back in the old CCHA days where you'd have a few teams that were pretty good and then the rest of it, not as competitive. Right. And that, um, 
that is that's not to take anything away from any of the success that any of the team you know like at all that that did well in the ccha but it's it's it, it's the kind of thing that I don't know that there, it just didn't get a lot of attention nationally. And then they, you know, they didn't sew it up at the end that I think a lot of people expected them to, but they were, they were very high in the pairwise and they've been high ish, you know, uh, high ish teens in the poll all season too. So, so they have a solid package there, but I cannot dissect its parts for you. All right, that's fine. And coming off a 4 nothing loss uh, at home in the uh, CCHA semifinal uh, conference. So they're not coming in, uh, you know, all guns blazing right now. But maybe that loss is something that propels a team and gets them fired up uh, for their uh, first round in the, in the tournament. And if, if so, that could work for Penn State as well. All right, let's wrap it up. Michigan is obviously the favorite to come out of this uh, this bracket. Would you be shocked? If somebody else did, no, <laughs> I would not be shocked if somebody else did. In fact, I haven't done my um, my own brackets yet, and I am leaning toward Colgate for real. And I know that Michigan, yes, for real, I am. And and I know that Michigan fans out there um, are probably, if they hear this, will be very angry with me, as will Penn State fans. And I am I admire both of those programs very much. <laughs> but I watch, having watched Colgate in last weekend, I wow, was really impressed. And so so something, if Colgate doesn't emerge, and especially if Michigan sort of has their way with them, with the Raiders, then that tells me that that not only that Colgate might have just sort of like elevated themselves and got themselves up and maybe, you know, used all of their energy for that tournament and don't have, you know, can't sustain it going through, or that maybe the ECAC isn't as strong as I thought after watching that excellent conference tournament play last weekend we'll see i mean but i kind of am leaning toward putting colgate in as uh heading to the frozen four as i am in another bracket with merrimack okay so based on based on what i saw last weekend out of conference championship play i watched as much conference championship play as i could it's my favorite weekend of the year and um i was so impressed with colgate i was like how was this team a number five seed in the ecac Outstanding. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. That's that's <laughs> going out on a limb for sure. Uh, Paula, this and has hey, been a lot hey, of fun. Hey. Yeah, go ahead. It has been. Oh, I was just going to say one more thing. You threw out to Canada. I'm going to throw out to New York State. Colgate is from New York State. So, yeah, so but it's, the, a, it's, a, it's a home state thing for me. But their leading scorer is Canadian. Their goaltender is Canadian. Their head coach is Canadian. I, I understand all of that. <laughs> but, but New York. How great would it be for a team from New York to win? That's true. All right, Paula, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, I appreciate every time that you're able to come on the show, and this is uh, no exception. Thanks for doing this. Oh, thanks. Thanks to you. This was fun. The one and only Paula Weston from USCHO. She has been uh, coming on the show uh, probably since about 2008, when we really started expanding our coverage away from just Euler prospects back, you know, that first half season that we did, Dean and I, on TSN 1260, back then, Team 1260. Well, when we decided we wanted to start uh, covering, you know, not just Major Junior in Canada, but uh, the NCAA as well, trying to find people who would be good guests to get on the radio. Well, he gave Paula a call, and she came on the show. I'm not sure if it was the first time she was on. might have been the second time. But our intro coming back from commercial was a a clip from uh, Anchorman with uh, Steve Carell's character, Brick Tamlin. With the whole, you want to go to a pants party? Anyway, it was it was very funny, and Paula rolled with it, and it was it just got the 
the whole interview off to a great start, and she's been a regular on the show ever since. And not just for that, she has a great sense of humor, but she's got great insight as well. I've been covering college hockey for a long time, and I like the way she sets it up. And man, how about that? She's picking Colgate. What a story that would be. You know, if, if Colgate could get the first goal, and maybe even a second one, a two-goal lead, put some doubt into the minds of the Wolverines, that could really be an interesting game. If if uh, Michigan scores one or two, you know, in the first period, it might get out of control. The Wolverines are that good, but uh, I am intrigued to see how Colgate handles uh, the Wolverines to start. And uh, the young Wolverines, maybe they get a little nervous. We'll see. I think there's lots of potential there. And the fact that Paula is picking Colgate, I find that pretty interesting. The other side, Penn State against uh, Michigan Tech. I like the Huskies in that one personally. Uh, so I think it will. Be, I'm picking Michigan, but I'll, I'll be honest, I'm kind of cheering for Colgate. But if it goes the way I think it will go, uh, I have uh, Michigan uh, getting to the Frozen Four, beating Michigan Tech in the second round. Well, see, let me know your picks. You can uh, find me on the old Twitter machine, at TPS underscore Gee. Coming up next, we're going to stick with USCHO. Jimmy Connolly is my guest. He is going to be in Manchester, so we're going to talk about that regional. we got Denver going up against Cornell and Boston University playing Western Michigan. Great regional. Let's dive into that one next. You're listening to The Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. This is Rieger Lorenz from the Okotoks Oilers. Second unit on. Divine centering. Tim score! Rieger Lorenz. First collegiate goal. 1-0 Denver. You're listening to The Pipeline Show. Passion, talent, development. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 93% rate. Trevor Zegras. And they score on the lacrosse move. Jake Gensel. Gensel banks it towards the goalie. Score. Kale McCarr. Kale McCarr. He scores. Stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you're a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. My goodness gracious man. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. I can't sugarcoat this. We're at threat level midnight. Hey, we're back on The Pipeline Show. We're uh, moving on from Allentown. We're headed to Manchester in this segment and uh, helping me go through the uh, the regional in Manchester, which features BU is taking on Western Michigan, Denver against Cornell, and uh, Jimmy Conley from USCHO is back on The Pipeline Show. Uh, Jimmy, doesn't seem all that long ago you were on the show, and we were talking about BU then, too. How's it going? It's going great. And, uh, yeah, we were being part-time back then. But uh, now we're, we're, we're kind of in a, a mode that is a little bit more important. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, let's get to it. And uh, Denver is the number one seed in this regional, the number four seed overall. Uh, they're going up against Cornell. Let's start with the defending champs. Uh, that would be the Denver Pioneers. It, it's, a, it's a veteran team to some degree, but there's a lot of uh, differences between this year's club and last year's, at least when you look at the roster. I don't know, coaching staff and maybe as the season went on, 
it became a little bit more reminiscent of last year's team, or or has it? It feels like a different Pioneers team to me. I, I think when you look at them eye test, they look really good still. Um, you know, I think the aberration was last Friday's one nothing loss to Colorado College, a team they had beat four times in the regular season, and then they lose in a, a pretty big game, the NCAC semifinal. But I, I don't I think that's like the one you can just throw away. Um, I know, I know fans don't want to throw it away in Denver because they wanted that championship, but I'm okay with throwing that game away. Um, When you really look at this Denver team, they've been super hot down the stretch Um, playing really good hockey. They haven't had a lot of uh, slip ups. I think that they have plenty. And does it look exactly like last year's team in ways? Yes. I mean, they said they still play great. On the back end, their goaltending's elite. Um, but I think that, you know, maybe they don't score as many goals up front. I think that they still have an edge usually against most opponents. They, they're they a good team. This is a very good Denver team. Um, are they as good as last year? Darn close. Um, I don't take it away from them that they didn't win the NCAC. They won the regular season. They did all they, they could do to get the number one seed. Lost a, a tough game, a one nothing game where you run, run into Emberico, uh, who had a great, great performance uh, throughout that tournament. So I think that I, I still love Denver. I think this is a fun team to watch. This, is a, this I mean, the region in general is tough. So, so anybody that comes through it is going to be a really good team in the Frozen Four. But I think that Denver should have a little bit of an edge over Cornell. Any concerns? I know there were some guys who were banged up down the stretch, uh, including their leading scorer and their netminder. Is everybody a hundred percent? I don't know. That's a good question. I, you know, I haven't had a chance to talk to David Carl um, this week. Um, I think uh, if injuries are an issue, they still have some depth. That's one of the most important parts of this team is that they have a little bit of depth. Um, you want to have the health going into the playoffs. But I, I think I'm still okay with this team, even if they're a little banged up. I mean, it's not, you know, even when you're starting goalies, you know, not, not in the lineup, they weren't giving up five goals a game. They're still one of the best defenses. They're still one of the best goaltending teams in the country. So I don't, I don't have too much concern about that, but it's something to keep an eye on. Uh, when you look at their offensive punch, uh, some of these guys, I mean, they have 12 drafted players, so there are a lot of right. guys that the casual fans will uh, will know the names of for sure, but um, might as well mention them. Who who leads this team offensively? Um, you know, I I think that this is, it, that is probably where this team has changed a little bit. Um, I, I, you know, I think that there are certain players on this team that, that are, are a little bit more recognizable in terms of name-wise, name recognition. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, I think that people remember Benning last year from last year's national title game, scored a really big game, uh, goal in the championship game. And, you know, from the defensive side, I know a, a blue liner that has 13 goals is pretty, uh, pretty significant. Um, but Carter Mazer is back, you know, in his sophomore season, 22 goals. Uh, that, that's pretty good. 22 goals in 39 games is right there. Um, Masimo Rizzo, another guy that's in his sophomore season, he led the team in points with 46 points. So, so you've got plenty, um, of talent. Then you have a guy like, uh, Casey Dornbark, um, you know, the transfer, um, from Harvard who comes in this year and 
immediately has an impact. And he, he was good at Harvard, but he's even better at Denver, it seems. And he, he fits into this offense, just kind of, you know, pigeonholes into a, a, the right position. I think that he can be very threatening. So I think when you combine all of those four players, Benning is just one of those defensemen who can really play both sides of the puck, you know, a real elite player. So I think that those are the four guys that you, you'll see, but th- there's some depth to this team. You you know, I, you know, I look at like uh, Shy Bullum, who uh, another defenseman who's really talented. He doesn't have as, as many points as he did last year, but that's a guy that can jump up into the offense, really score, uh, change the game. When if you don't pay attention to the blue liners on this team, they can beat you, and that's where the the biggest danger probably comes in. Is there a guy who doesn't get as much attention as he probably deserves just because of how deep Denver is? Oh, I mean, they have some some really good seniors on this team. Um, you know, I mentioned Dornbach, the transfer, but, you know, Kyle Mayhew, the, the defenseman, um, he's a good positional defenseman. Um, you don't hear people talk about him because he only, I think, has uh, two goals this season, but he is he's a solid stay-at-home defenseman who knows how to make sure that you can shut them down. And, and, and I guess that's where we, where we go, of, you know, when you're talking about some of their injuries and and, you know, with Krona, who's a little bit banged up, if you have to throw in a guy like Matt Davis and Nett, then you, you know that you have a good defense in front of them. And that is what they've been seeing in those games that Krona's been banged up. So I don't know who's going um, on Thursday when they play, but either goaltender, you know that you're going to have six guys in front of them mm-hmm. that play really solid defense. All right, uh, Jimmy Conley is my guest. He's from USCHO. Uh, now Denver is taking on uh, Cornell, the Big Red, always a uh, a threat in the in their conference. Uh, where do they kind of? I mean, they're the number four seed in this region, but they're a quality team, and you can't overlook anybody in a in a one win uh, one game you know uh, playoff like this. Uh, that's what makes the uh, the national tournament so exciting. So uh, tell me why yeah. Cornell has a chance here. Well, when you think about since this tournament expanded, I want to say it was around 2003 when they went from 12 teams to 16 teams and you had four number four seeds out there. Um, there has never been a year where the number one seed doesn't lose in the first round. Mm. Is it Denver that loses? I don't know. But there has been one number one seed that has been beaten every year. Um, is Cordell the team to do it? I'm not sure. You know, it's, it's, they, they started really slow this year. They got red hot through the middle of the season um, and were playing very well down the stretch. Then they ran into Harvard uh, in the ECAC playoffs, lost to them in overtime, didn't get to play for the ECAC championship. Um, but this team has plenty of depth. Um, I think of Berard, Ben Berard is one of their uh, more uh, prolific scorers, either 10 goals in 32 games, uh, 26 points this season. He has a little bit of depth. The back end, I think, is where you, you kind of see it. Uh, their goaltender, Ian Shane, um, you know, 1.7 goals against average and 9.13 save percentage. They have the numbers back there. They have plenty of depth, I think, to get them going. They're not going to score four goals a game. They're not going to score five goals. Um, but if they can turn this into what Colorado College did last Friday in the NCHC semis, if they can turn this into a one nothing or a 2-1 game, that's going to favor Cornell. 
Well, and how hard is that to do, though, against a team like Denver, who's going to want to turn it into a track <laughs> meet for sure? Does, does Cornell have the, the, the skates to, to to keep up with Denver? You know, I, I mean, you questioned that about Colorado College last week, too, right? Sure. But they, they found a way to slow things down. You know, it comes it comes down to the neutral zone. Can you keep Denver from making it a track meet in the middle of the ice? And if you can, if you can slow things down, if you can kind of, you know, go back into like a one-two-two and just make sure that, you know, the, you're defensively responsible from your own blue line all the way back and make sure you have four guys coming back, then you can slow down this team. I mean, there's plenty of talent on Denver. I just kind of listed all the players, but Cornell knows how to play this style. Um, it's it's the more prevalent style, I think, sometimes in the uh, ECAC, you know, among, especially among the Ivy League teams. I know Harvard has a lot of skill and talent up front, but Cornell has played some really low-scoring games, uh, especially in the second half of the year. So if they can get their style of game, if they can dictate the pace of this game, they can win. Listen, if this is a track meet, I, I, I definitely favor Denver. Um, but if they can slow Denver down a little bit, then I think that maybe you're in a situation that you can, you know, possibly hold this to a one nothing or two one game. I like I like Cornell in that situation. The two three matchup uh, might be one of the best in uh, in the NCAA national tournament uh, in this bracket or in this uh, regional. Uh, Boston University against Western Michigan. Not a whole lot to to really pick between them. They seem to score as much as uh, one another. They've allowed it. Pretty much the same amount of goals. Uh, on paper, these two teams really, really balanced. How do you size up this matchup? Uh, expect goals. I mean, you know, I, I say that. And then, you know, I, I had the chance to call the Hockey's tournament last weekend, and we had uh, 2-1, 2-1, all overtime games in Hockey East. I would have expected BU to score a ton more goals, but, you know, teams could shut them down. Providence did a fantastic job on Friday. The Merrimack was great on Saturday. Um, BU needed everything in their tank to win the game. Um, Western, they, they score goals. Um, and I think that, you know, Pat Firstweiler has this team playing really well. Um, you know, Jason uh, Poland is probably one of the most prolific scorers in the NCAA, almost 30 goals, 29 goals in 38 games. Um, he's going to be in the Hobie hat trick. There's almost no doubt about that. Will he win the award? I'm not sure. I, I, I definitely thought, you know, consider him. But then on the other side, you have Lane Hudson, uh, you know, a freshman defenseman. Doesn't have the same number of points, but when you think about a defenseman and the way he scores and he, you know, ended up being MVP of Hockey East last week in the tournament, you know, uh, had the game-winning goal in overtime. Uh, on Saturday night to win the championship, he set uh, he had an earlier goal. He set up a goal on Friday night that tied the game. I mean, like he just does everything. So <laughs> it's really difficult to kind of compare those two players. But I think you might end up with two of the Hobie Hattrick players facing off against each other in the first game of the tournament. This is the opener on Thursday, two o'clock Eastern time. Uh, that will be the opener on ESPN and TSN. So I think that that game might be the the best game of the first round. I, it's the one I circled first um, because you do have two really great scorers against each other. One's a defenseman, one's a forward. It feels like a different game, but, man, those two guys can, can really impress. All right, I'm going to stick with BU for a minute. And you mentioned Lane Hudson, and he's just a thrill-a-minute player. It's, it's not all that long ago that Kale McCarr was doing this 
uh, for Massachusetts. Are, do you see similarities between those two players? Some. Um, I think the size for Hudson, he's so, he's a little bit smaller. Yep. Um, I think his stick skills are actually a little bit better than McCarr's. Um, he, early in the season, he was breaking ankles the way he would move with his stick. And, uh, that was really impressive. There was a lot of videos going around social media and, and whatnot of him, you know, making moves and having guys falling down as he's just standing and he, he's only moving in a box that was probably about, you know, five square feet, but he was still moving and, and making guys miss. Um, he, I think the more attention he has gotten as the season went on, um, the better he's actually played, which that really impresses me. When a, when a, a, a young player, and he is really young, you know, I think he just turned 19. So when you're that young and you can still go out there and make plays when everybody's attention is on you, I still, I, I think that's really impressive. So, uh, is he Kale McCarr? Probably not. There are different players just size wise. Um, but he has tons of offensive skill. I, I guess the one thing as a hockey East uh, broadcaster and kind of fan, the I'd like to see him stick around another year because he is undersized. I think that might happen, but he, I guess you never know after this summer's draft what happens. But he has so much talent. This league uh, appreciates having a guy like that. He's one of, uh, I think it's a dozen drafted players uh, with the Terriers. Uh, who else leads on this attack? I mean, if if people are tuning in who don't normally watch a lot of college hockey, but they're tuning in this weekend, uh, who for BU is going to stand out to them? Well, I think that, you know, there, there's probably three guys that are all older that really can do a lot. Matt Brown, he's a transfer from UMass Lowell. Uh, Jay O'Brien, he was a transfer from Providence. Two two guys that um, left their original teams, went to BU, and then Wilmer Skoog, uh, he was suspended actually on Saturday from the hockey's championship game. He'll be back in the lineup, um, this Thursday. The three of them make up the first line most of the time and they are dynamic together. It is a fantastic line to watch. And you know, they actually struggled, <laughs> you know, through Friday's game against Providence, but they still end up being three of the best guys to watch. All seniors on this team. Um, they have some, te- some young talent. You, uh, you saw Devin Kaplan. He scored the game tying goal in the championship game on Saturday. Ends up with 10 goals on the season. He's a freshman. Um, Ryan Green, another freshman. Uh, Jeremy Wilmer. They're all pretty fantastic. And then Quinn Hudson scored the game winning goal. And he is the brother. He's the older brother. They're both freshmen, but he's the older brother of Lane Hudson. Um, and Quinn is just as talented. He's, you know, different position. He's a forward, but he gets up and down the ice. The two of them both have 14 goals on this, on the season. They're, they're, they're fantastic for BU. So there's, there's a lot of offensive talent. This is why they score more than four goals a game. This is a BU team that has a lot of threats. And you, you don't forget about the back end is, you know, Drew Camesso was an Olympic goaltender a year ago and he this weekend, at the Garden, I thought he was fantastic, really on his game. Um, if he plays the way he can play, and this is his you know, third year with the team, if he can play the way he's definitely capable of playing, BU is a real threat to get to the Frozen Four and maybe win it all. Jimmy Connolly, my guest from USCHO. All right, well, let's look at Western Michigan. And uh, that top line started the season like uh, their hair was on fire. They were <laughs> scoring all the time. Uh, I mean, I think the three of them were leading the NCAA in scoring at, at one point. 
it sort of tailed off a little bit for Ryan McAllister, who's the freshman uh, from up here. But he, he uh, the last couple of games, well, the last through the the NCHC playoffs, found his scoring touch again. But is there a reason you think for such a hot start for him specifically, and then he really kind of uh, faded in stretches in the second half? Well, I think I think sometimes coaches will tell you freshmen they can come in and they can maybe surprise. Uh, their opponents a little bit, but then you get the target on your back and it gets a little bit more difficult. I'm sure that happened a little bit to McAllister, but you're playing against, uh, you know, alongside Jason Pollard and that kid can just straight out score goals. Um, so the two of them together are, are pretty, um, pretty powerful. Um, so even if McAllister is not putting the puck in the net, he's usually getting an assist. Yep. He has, you know, 35 assists on the season, a 48 guy, a 48 point guy. He has more points than Poland right now. I mean, um, but goals are goals are what people look at, and when you have 29 goals, which is what Poland has going into the NCAA tournament, he's been fantastic. Um, so that that top line is deadly, and if you are not aware when they're on the ice, and if you give up any space, any time and space to them, especially, you know, you get that area between the blue line and maybe the face-off dots. If you give you give them a little bit of room in that space, they will they'll light you up. So I think that's one of the most dangerous things about Western is that if that top line gets going or if the power play gets going, you know, you look at these guys, you know, McAllister, four power play goals, Poland, six, uh, Max Sasson, five. I mean, th- those guys have, you can even go down to uh, Zach Galambos, the, the defenseman who has five power play goals as well. You can't, you can't give this power play too many opportunities. If you do, uh, you're going to have to play really good defense. And that penalty kill is going to have to light it up for BU, which they have not been the greatest at at times this year. So that is one of the areas for BU. They're going to have to stay disciplined, stay out of the box. Uh, otherwise, Western, th- their power play can take advantage. Would it be incorrect to say that Western Michigan is a one-line team? That one line is really, really good. But if you shut down that one line, do you beat them? Or is is it a risk to say that? I think it's a risk. I think they have a little bit of depth. I mean, and I don't, a little bit's not even fair. I mean, like I mentioned Galambos, he's a guy with 11 goals and you look at Granger with 12, you know, there, there's guys, uh, Dylan went with eight goals. I mean, there, there's plenty of guys, you know, Jamie Rome, he has nine goals. So there's guys that are right on that cusp of, you know, double digit goals, which is, you know, usually a pretty good mark for, college team so i i don't think that they're totally one line listen you got you have to shut down that first line if you can't contain that line for western you're in trouble and if they if they put up three on you somebody else will put up one and you're you might get into a shootout where you can win five four um but it's it that's a dangerous risk if b is going to win this game it's probably going to be a four two game um, if it gets to a six-five game, I think Western's in a really good position. They can put up the goal. So um, it, this is going to be the. It, it's likely going to be the highest scoring round, game of the first round. Okay. Um, I, you know, <laughs> we do a, a little podcast that we're going to record uh, shortly today called uh, USCHO Edge, and we'll talk about over/unders on games. And this is the only game I will absolutely say that you have to take the over. <laughs> Um, it feels like a game. I think it's six and a half is the over in Vegas right now. It feels like a game that could score, you know, nine, 10, 11 goals. Will it? Who knows? You know, I say that I, I joke because I'm, 
you know, working uh, in the production booth for, for ESPN. And, and, and uh, I said, I'm going to have to have a pen, pen with a lot of ink. But I said that last week going into Hockey East, and we ended up with a 2-1-2-1-3-2. So, so I guess you just never know where you're going to come out. It, it, last week, every game except for the Minnesota-Michigan game was five goals or less. I feel like we're going to see a few goals in this game, but I could totally be wrong because it's just not been the trend in the postseason. Of the four teams, Jimmy, who's got the best goalie? Ooh, if Crone uh, is healthy, he probably could take that, but I, I think you probably have to go to Drew Camesso with BU. He's fantastic. And if he's playing the way he played last weekend, um, he certainly should be the best goalie in the region. Okay. Uh, now you threw out that. Uh, how many years now has it been that a number one seed has uh, lost in a regional? Every, every year since it started, I believe it was two thousand three. So this would be twenty years, twenty straight, at least nineteen straight. I, my math might be off. This could be the twentieth. Every year, somebody, some number one has lost. So that's amazing. Uh, and that's the that's the first game. You know, we have never gotten to a a frozen four. Even never even come close to a frozen four with with four number one seeds. So. Uh, I, I wouldn't expect it again this year. It's just, it's just, it happens every year. I, I would have a hard time identifying which number one is most vulnerable this weekend. Right. You would think maybe it's Denver. Um, I think that Merrimack, the way they're playing, they could be dangerous against Quinnipiac. Um, I, I do think Minnesota can get past Canisius, and I think that Michigan can get past Colgate. But I would say either Quinnipiac or Denver, that would be the number one seed in the first game that would go down this year. Excellent. All right. Well, I have to put your feet to the fire. Uh, who is the the team that comes out of uh, the the regional in Manchester, in your opinion? I think it's Boston University. The way they're playing, um, I might be a little biased because I cover hockey East a lot and right. um, CBU a ton. Um, I haven't seen Denver play since the first week of the season, and that in that time they lost two games to UMass, which ended up being a pretty bad team in hockey East. When all was said and done. Uh, that that weekend just feels so long ago. I don't think I can even look at what Denver was back there. I think they're an improved team, but I still think that BU is just a little bit better. And I think that BU right now is playing a little bit better. They are banged up. There there are some injuries there. Uh, you know, Case McCarthy is definitely going to be out of the lineup. He got uh, banged up Friday night and he suffered season-ending injuries. <clears throat> but there there could be a, a few other players for BU that might be out. Ben, depending on uh, how things went this week. So I guess you have to think about health a little bit this time of year, but I like BU. Excellent. Jimmy, really appreciate your time, man. Thanks for doing this once again. We'll uh, we'll talk to you soon. Always a pleasure. Enjoy the tournament. It's such a fun time. Oh, Jimmy! That was Jimmy Connolly from USCHO. We had Paula Weston in the opening guest segment, and uh, now Jimmy, uh, both from USCHO. He will be on hand in New Hampshire I believe he told me off the air that he's going to be uh, working with ESPN. What do you think of his picks and his choices? He's picking Boston University to get to the Frozen Four. Well, personally, I have Denver taking care of uh, Cornell, and then it's it's a bit of a coin flip for me between BU and Western Michigan. I'm actually leaning towards Western Michigan, but there is a part of me that is thinking that is a mistake. Uh, Lane Hudson might be the X factor in that game. He just seems to have gotten better and better as the season has gone on, and maybe he is a guy who can just take a game by himself. 
I'm excited that Jimmy thinks it's going to be a high-scoring game because a lot of times you get into the tournament and there's a lot of 2-1, 3-2 sort of games. Uh, I wouldn't mind seeing a 6-5 game or a 5-3 game or something like that. Maybe we get that with the Broncos and the Terriers. Our next stop on the tour of the regional previews is in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Uh, and our guest to give us the lowdown on what to expect is going to be Adam Woden from College Hockey News, the four teams who will be in Bridgeport. Uh, we have uh, the number one seed is Quinnipiac. They are taking on the number four seed Merrimack. Then we have uh, Harvard and Ohio State. So another really interesting and intriguing regional bracket. Let's pick Adam's brain when we come back. You're listening to The Pipeline Show, brought to you by Willock Beef Jerky. Feels inside of the net. Halliday scores! There it is. History made in Dubuque tonight. And it comes just a minute and a half into the first period. And Stephen Halliday is the Tier 1 scoring leader. Hey, this is Stephen Halliday. I play on the Dubuque Fighting Saints. And this is The Pipeline Show. compares to the smile on a child's face after their wish has been granted. The Rainbow Society of Alberta is dedicated to granting wishes throughout the province to children who have been diagnosed with a life-threatening or severe chronic medical illness. And you can help too. View the wishes, refer a child, and donate at rainbowsociety.ab.ca or get involved as a volunteer. Having a wish come true fills a child's heart with hope and happiness. Visit rainbowsociety.ab.ca today. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Hello there. Back on The Pipeline Show as we continue looking ahead to the NCAA National Tournament. And uh, we are advancing now as we continue on with the show. Uh, we're going to the Bridgeport uh, Regional. And to handle that for us is Adam Woden from College Hockey News. Uh, Adam, welcome back to the program. How are you? Hello, sir. Doing well. It was good to be here. Well, I appreciate you making the time like this, and this is an interesting bracket uh, to look at because I think a lot of people think this one might have some upsets in it. I don't know what your initial thought on that is or not, or do you think this this plays out uh, according to seeding? You know, honestly, I don't think anything is much of an upset anymore. That's the thing. I mean, when I look at uh, the entire tournament, I look at all the two three seeds, even what you would call five versus twelve, right. which is BU uh, Western and Manchester. Uh, to me, that's a toss up. And so, you know, uh, when you look at this game, Quinnipiac versus Merrimack, Merrimack comes into the tournament having won like seven in a row, and then they lost the overtime in the championship game of hockey East to BU, which is no, you know, someone's got to win that game right. in overtime. And uh, so, you know, meanwhile, Quinnipiac lost their last game. They haven't really been tested in quite a while. I'm not one of those people who think that Quinnipiac's like overrated. I can't stand when people say that. Uh, I just so happen to think that, uh, you know, Merrimack's coming and playing its best right now. And uh, it's a, that's a good test. Now, if Quinnipiac plays their best, you know, I think that they probably have more depth. Um, you know, Colin Graff's had a tremendous year for them. Uh, Alex Jeffries is a good scorer for Merrimack. So, I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of similar there. Uh, neither team has scored a lot lately, <laughs> but they both have, uh, been capable of doing that. Um, you know, the goaltending is probably a lot more closer than what you would 
think, given that uh, Yanni Peretz, the Quinnipiac goalie, has uh, been a Hobie finalist the last two years. Yeah. But, uh, you know, his numbers are gaudy just because they allow so few shots. And I'm not saying he's not a good goalie because he is. He faced over 40 shots against Colgate in the semifinal last weekend and was very good. But uh, my point is just that Merrimack's goaltending is uh, pretty close. You know, just uh, they don't have the the gaudy look to their numbers, maybe. But uh, their rotation of Zach Borgiel and Hugo Olis, uh, you know, right around 920 save percentage as well as a combination. So, uh, you know, I think this is a closer game than you would think uh, just by looking at it. And Merrimack, you know, is quite the story as well. Not that uh, that's going to win the day, but uh, obviously they've overcome a lot this year with the loss of their assistant coach, uh, Josh Siako, early in the season. A very emotional situation, especially for their head coach, Scott Borick, who uh, had taken him under his wing even as far back as a player when he recruited him at New Hampshire. Uh, so it's just been a kind of an emotional roller coaster year for Merrimack. And uh, we'll see. Quinnipiac has been in a situation before, though, where they've lost in the ECH tournament and then bounced back in the NCAs and made a run. So, but so like I said, I don't, I don't necessarily think it's because Quinnipiac uh, isn't as good as their seed. But uh, I think Merrimack is better than what the 14 would indicate. And so I think this game is a lot closer than it might seem. Uh, you know, who wins, who knows. But uh, so there you go. <laughs> Neither roster loaded with NHL draft picks. And that doesn't really mean anything in, in, a, in a college situation like this because you're not looking, you know, what they're going to be 10 years down the road. You're looking at what guys are right now. But uh, Quinnipiac has Samuel Lipkin and uh, Skylar Brindamore. And that's it for uh, drafted players. Uh, meanwhile, on the other side, Hugo Allis, you mentioned the big goaltender, six foot eight. Man, that's a that's a giant <laughs> on skates. Uh, that's a giant in sneakers, let alone put him in skates. But he's a, a Rangers draft pick, and then he got Alex Jeffries, who's uh, your Islanders uh, drafted him. Yep. You're, you're the big Islander fan, right? <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah. No, exactly. I think Jeffries is a pretty good player. Jeffries is a good player. Okay. Uh, well, you led their team in scoring, and by a significant margin, like. I don't want to take anything away from everybody else, but did he just have a breakout season? Oh, yeah. No, he's he's a really good player. You watch him play, and, uh, you know, again, yeah, I, I know they don't put up uh, ridiculous numbers, but uh, you watch him play somebody you got to keep your eye on because, uh, you know, he, he's a playmaker and he can shoot. So uh, he leads the team in shots. <laughs> and like you said, assists by far. I mean, the goals he's got, you know, it's equal to a few other guys, but uh, he sets people up but also, you know, takes a lot of shots. So, um, yeah, he, he's a tremendous player. I mean, Slava Demon, he mentioned, has the experience having been on Denver for three years and last year he was on UMass and then you know, he's in a fifth year he's on his third team. Uh, you know, they're joking about, like, you know, who do you send the uh, alumni checks to uh, in this case? <laughs> what's going to happen in the future? So there's a lot, a lot of guys in college hockey now have played, wound up on three teams in uh, five years all of a sudden, but uh, that's a new phenomenon. But For sure. Yeah, I mean uh, – so, like I said, I mean, Merrimack had a lull in the middle of the season where they didn't play well, and, and they were great in the beginning of the year, and then kind of hit a wall, and then came back later on. Quinnipiac's been solid throughout. Um, you know, obviously, they only had two losses in league play. It's the first time a team did that in the ECAC since 1989, the Harvard team that Ted Donato was on that won a national championship. Uh, that team also didn't win the ECAC championship that year for what it's worth, went on to win uh, the national championship. So it's hard to say, you know, I've, like I said, I've been around the block a few times. I've seen this go both ways where a team falters in their tournament 
in their conference tournament, comes back, plays lights out. I've seen it go the other way where, you know, end of the season had a little lull because they had dominated and now, and then they just couldn't turn it back on. So it remains to be seen, you know, how this one goes. But Quinnipiac is it, to your point about the, the, the uh, draft picks, I mean, they've had rosters in the past that have had many more than they have now. Uh, the way this team has been constructed, I mean, I don't necessarily think it's by design, but it's sort of just like, the way things work out. They had six players who were seniors last year decided to come back for their fifth year as grad students. And, you know, they thought they were going to lose most of them, really. But uh, for whatever whatever the reason was, they decided maybe as a group got together, said, look, let's come back and make another run. Usually guys who last that long aren't guys who are draft picks necessarily, but they have a ton of, uh, you know, experience. Like Zach Metza was a tremendous defenseman for them. Uh, was among the guys coming back. Jacob Norquist, TJ Friedman was another huge returner. Ethan DeJong, who's uh, got 18 goals this season. Um, you know, these are all guys who've been through with them before, and it was huge to get those back. So I think, you know, in the future, you're going to see a team that has plenty of draft picks again. But uh, just the way it worked out this year, I, so I wouldn't read too much into that as far as like a negative necessarily. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, so, so anyway, that's my ramble on clinic. I, I think this is a great game though. Honestly, I'm very intrigued how this goes. Big difference between the way these two teams uh, tackle goaltending though. As you mentioned, Eve Peretz has played pretty much every game. He's got 37 games under his belt this year. And I know what you mentioned or what you're talking about when you're saying about how they don't face a lot of shots. A lot of times, didn't he have a shutout in a game where he only had five shots? Fairly recently, yeah, that was in the uh, the first game of the best of three against Yale in the quarterfinals of their tournament, and yeah, five shots that night. So you know, it's hard to get, it's hard to really say. Like you know, he was tested obviously, yeah. but like I said, I saw him play against Colgate, and he made forty seven saves, and four, I think seventeen of them were in overtime. Right. So he can, you know, it's not like he's chopped liver. On the other side of the page, though, with Merrimack. They've been rotating their goaltenders. Any idea who, who, what they do? Because only one of them can play. It's always intriguing to me how the coach handles that. Do they, you know, if the team continues to progress, does he just ro- keep rotating? But who gets the start here uh, this weekend? Yeah, where are we in the rotation? Uh, let's see. Olas played against BU, so I'm pretty sure they're going to go back to Borgiel. I mean, they don't think there's really any difference. Uh, you know, they've just been doing that back and forth and I, I'm pretty sure they're not going to stop now. Uh, even, you know, it, it, to, as a, as a clue to what they're going to do, um, you know, the, in the Merrimack only had, I mean, this deep nowadays hockey's has a one game quarterfinal, not a, not a best of three series. And so there was only one game the previous weekend and that was played by Olas, you know, and you're thinking, well, okay, he's plenty rested. He won the game and come back. No, they went to, Borgiel on Friday and Scott Borick said, you know, I think that uh, on sat- after Saturday's game, he said, you know, he would have, oh no, it was after Friday's game. And when, when he said, look, we're going to go back to Olas here. We're not going to go to Borgiel on back-to-back nights. Why do anything different now? He said, he thinks uh, Borgiel would, would, would feel like there was something wrong if, if he did that. It wouldn't be right to Olas to stick with him. Just like the other way around the previous week, Olas plays the one game, and he would have felt the same way if they played him again. So going by that, uh, no guarantees, but, uh, you know, you have to feel like Borgiel gets the start uh, just because it's his turn. And I, I don't think that they look at it any other way right now. 
well, I guess statistically speaking, he had the better season anyway. So that might be. Yeah, uh, right. By a slim margin. But yes, yeah. that's true. All right. Uh, on the other side of the uh, the bracket, really interesting matchup between Harvard and Ohio State. Uh, to me, at least on paper, it looks like they're fairly, uh, fairly balanced, fairly even. Uh, how do you size up that matchup? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's another <laughs> another situation where you have to wait and see how teams react because again to go both ways and i realize that's like the uh the wishy-washy way out of things but honestly i've seen it go both ways so many times that it's uh i've learned to stop trying to predict how that'll go um because ohio state you know had a week off basically they didn't play last weekend they lost in their semifinal and the way things work in the big 10 is that there's a single game semifinal the week prior to the final so that gives teams you know, a week off who don't make only, only two teams can make the final. So everybody else who makes it from that league uh, has to has to wait. I mean, Penn State's waiting three weeks because yeah. they lost in the quarterfinal. So Harvard, on the other hand, uh, you know, they play semifinal and final on the same weekend. So no matter what, they were pretty much going to be assured of playing last week. And as it, as it was, they won Friday, got to Saturday. So, but you know, by the same token, they were pretty. I don't I don't mean banged up in the sense of injuries, but I just mean they were exhausted i felt uh after a war with cornell on friday i mean colgate went to overtime with quinnipiac two in the early game that day but then the harvard cornell game i just thought was a uh a war of attrition and kudos to harvard for standing toe-to-toe with cornell in that situation because historically that's cornell's kind of game but harvard has proven its metal i think recently and really this whole year in their ability to play that way if they need to. Uh, they have tons of NHL draft picks as yeah. opposed to what you said about the other one. I think it's the most in the country, as a matter of fact. Um, and and not just by not just for show either, because, you know, look at their top three guys, Sean Farrell, Hobie Finalist, Alex Leferia, Matthew Coronado, legitimate NHL prospects you're talking about here. Uh, not to mention John Farinacci, who missed half the season and put up 19 points. I mean, he's an outstanding center. Um, defensemen as well, littered with uh, with strong players. Uh, Mason Langenbrenner, people will know that name, although he isn't one of their top four guys, but uh, he plays pretty much every game. Um, so uh, my point is that uh, they were able to play a rough and tumble game with Cornell and come through, and I give them a pass for losing to Colgate in that second game. I felt like they got their legs later on in that game. They did have a strong third period. Colgate hung on for dear life and won it 3-2. to two. Uh, after Harvard got behind three to one, so but I, I you know I, now against Ohio State, you presume that they'll be rested from last week and they'll be fine and uh, battle tested. Whereas Ohio State had the week off. What does that mean? Is uh, you know is Ohio State more rested or does it mean they're more rusty? I mean it's the age old dilemma. So I don't know. Uh, you know Harvard's a seven overall seed. Ohio State's nine. That's basically splitting hairs. Mm-hmm. Not, not a whole lot of difference. People will say, of course, that Ohio State is more tested in the Big Ten on a nightly basis than Harvard is in the ECAC, and it's probably true. But Harvard still has proven itself plenty of the course of the year. They had uh, the Beanpot, of course, where they did fairly well. And then they had uh, two games at Michigan early in the season where they uh, tied and lost to Michigan in a tough environment. Uh, They've beaten – well, they had not been – Quinnipiac's beaten them uh, both times this year, but uh, Harvard did beat Cornell three times this season. So that's uh, one of the tournament teams that they beat. So there you go. I mean, Ohio state, you know, they don't have flashy players this year. Again, it's a situation where in the past they have had 
plenty of guys, Tanel Wazinski, guys like that have been higher than draft picks this year. Not so much, um, you know, back to more of the defensive oriented play. Uh, they do have some guys they, 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 who, who are tough, hard-nosed players up front. You know, don't get me wrong. Uh, you know, they have a freshman, Stephen Halliday, who led the team in uh, points, not putting up a lot of goals. Uh, Davis Burnside, another freshman, did lead the team in goals. So the future is bright from that standpoint. But uh, they do rely upon their goaltender a lot, Jacob Dobish, who, uh, you know, I felt he had a better year last year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, last year I thought he was unbelievable as a freshman. This year, the uh, the Czech import, fifth-round pick of Montreal, uh, a little more inconsistent this year. I mean, I'm not just going by the numbers here. His save percentage went down from 934 to 918, so you, you can look at that and make that assessment yourself. But, you know, I haven't just watched him play a few times as much as I can. Uh, I would not felt that, you know, he's sort of stood on his head like he did last year a lot of the times, but still, still a solid goalie. And, uh, and so this is, again, you know, flip the coin. Don't ask me. I don't, it's a good thing I'm not a professional gambler. I have no idea. Well, it's funny because when, when we started, before I, you started breaking everything down, I thought there were a lot more even on paper. But as, actually, when you go through it, I don't see how Harvard doesn't win this game. Uh, to, to me, they, they look like they have much more balanced offensive attack, uh, whereas maybe uh, with the, the, the Buckeyes, they might be – I don't want to say a one-line team, but they might not have the same amount of offensive depth. Is it? Am I crazy? If I had to pick, let's put it this way, I would pick Harvard. But you know, I don't have to pick. <laughs> so uh, I agree that it certainly looks that way. And again, I've seen them play both plenty of times. It, it is hard to make assessments a lot. You know, I'm a big fan of the ECAC. I go back covering that league for over 30 years, and I always bristle at anyone who criticizes them, but you can't argue that the bottom end of that league, it was not that difficult this year. Whereas Ohio state was facing, you know, Michigan state and Notre Dame, even who didn't even make the tournament on a nightly basis. So, so it's hard to make a completely fair assessment just by what you see. But I like the way Harvard has been playing just from my eye test. I, I feel like that they're in good shape right here. Whereas Ohio state has kind of stumbled since February and again, against tough competition, there's no, no doubt about that. And they did, they did have a great, you know, they had a couple of great games against uh, Michigan earlier in the year where they beat them 7-2 on, uh, at Yost Arena one night. Um, then they beat them, I believe, and they had that outdoor game in Cleveland. Right. When was that? That was uh, like about a month that ago. Was, that was in February. Yeah, that, they beat them on that and that game, too. That was uh, February 18th. Um, but look, but looking at Ohio State's non-league schedule, which is really all you can kind of do to kind of have a, a apples to apples, they didn't play a tough non-league schedule. I mean, they beat like Mercyhurst twice, Bentley twice. Those are both Atlantic hockey teams. They lost to LIU in a game in November. Uh, they beat Bowling Green twice. They uh, they lost to UConn. So there's not a lot to go by there where you would scream having a lot of confidence. But they did grind out a lot of close wins. They got enough wins to be fourth in the league and to uh, a third in the league, I think, and then uh, and, and to make the NCAA. So you give them a lot of credit for that. Um, you know, what that means now going forward, uh, we'll see. We'll see for the, We'll see. But I do I do agree with you in general. I mean, I think Harvard has a really good team this year. Uh, but, you know, if uh, they're too uh, – they're still too uh, – still in the effects of last week, then maybe they'll have a tough time. Every year, there is a number one seed that gets knocked out. Oh, yeah. Could that happen in this bracket? 
Well, it'll happen somewhere. I mean, you can almost guarantee that. If not one, at least two, you know, sometimes more. But, uh, you know, it, it, yeah, again, I wouldn't want to bet my house on Quinnipiac losing. But if you asked me to pick which of the four were most likely to lose, then I would pick Quinnipiac. All but, right. that, again, that's all. that's really also as much to do with Merrimack, the opponent, than Quinnipiac itself. That's why I say that. Okay, well, we've both agreed Merrimack and Harvard seem to be playing uh, some pretty good hockey right now. I don't know. Do you have a, a feel for who comes out of this regional and gets to the Frozen <laughs> Four? Well, I on my bracket, which, again, thankfully I don't have to put money down on, I did put Harvard. But uh, what that means, most likely, is that that won't happen. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but, you know, so there you go. I mean, I'll, you know, I'm on the record. As that that is what I said. So, but don't listen to me. All right. Well, everybody can uh, submit their <laughs> brackets, right? The, you guys at College Hockey oh, News have a, have a nice contest every year. Yeah, check. There's a link on the homepage. I won't try to give you the whole long URL. We'll just go uh, there. You should see it and uh, come try it out. Win prizes. Top three win prizes. There you go. All right. I enter every year. You don't have to bet your house. I, I never seem to win. I don't know. Yeah, me neither. And I, I run the thing. It's pretty hard to actually come out with a, a bracket. Half the time, my bracket is screwed like two day, two games in. Let me tell you. I My wife, you know, she's been on this earth as long as I have. She never bothered to play in a bracket before. She could probably even know what a bracket was. Mm-hmm. She's at her uh, in her uh, company, which is pretty large. They have a lot of people in there. I had to spend 20 minutes. I'm talking about basketball, by the way. Okay. I, I spent 20 minutes explaining to her what seeds were the other day. <laughs> and uh, she's currently leading her pool. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, Adam, this was fun. Thanks for doing this. All right, man. Be good. That's Adam Wooden from College Hockey News. He has Harvard, he says, uh, coming out of the regional into the Frozen Four. And that's actually who I have as well. I did go back and forth, though I do have Merrimack uh, pulling the upset over Quinnipiac uh, in the opening game. Uh, And then I was debating between Merrimack and uh, Harvard. I do like Ohio State, though, too. However, I think just that depth. And, And going into the conversation, I had them on pretty even footing. The way that he profiled Harvard, and then you look at the roster, and they do have a lot of offensive weapons. I think they have more offensive weapons than Ohio State does. Big fan of Stephen Halliday, though. I think the Ottawa Senators got a good one there in the draft. But I do have uh, Harvard coming out of the regional from Bridgeport, and I have them meeting Michigan at the Frozen Four. We've got one more regional to get to. Mick Hatton from the Rink Live is my guest. He is going to set up the Fargo Regional. Minnesota taking on Canisius, St. Cloud State against Minnesota State, which might be the best game of the opening round. Let's tackle that next here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Willock Beef Jerky. Back off to the near side, it comes for Winters, down low, takes the return. Winters cross ring, shot, goal! Ingram again. Hey, this is Adam Ingram from the Youngstown Phantoms, and this is the Pipeline Show. Sarah 
from Buford loves Wilhawk beef jerky. My husband is an expressive <gasps> fan, prone to waving his arms about, which is unfortunate for those next to him. And the snacks. Do you know how hard it is to get salsa out of carpet? It was a miracle when I found Wilhawk beef jerky. No more crushed chips strewn about or toppled dips. A fistful of jerky can be waved about with little mess to clean up later. Thanks, Wilhawk. Wilhawk beef jerky. It's the best. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Giant Turkey is a little over the line, my man. Final segment to go on this week's episode as we preview the upcoming NCAA National Tournament. And the last stop is the regional in Fargo. And uh, my guest to tackle that uh, that region is Mick, Mick Hatton from The Rink Live. Uh, Mick, welcome back to the Pipeline Show. How are you? Oh, I'm, I'm good. Thanks for having me. I always uh, appreciate when you reach out to me. Well, I like having you on, especially knowing that you're going to the uh, the regional itself, and it's coincidence that most of these teams are in Minnesota, so I'm pretty sure you got a, a good feel for all of them outside of maybe Canisius, and I don't think anybody would hold that against you. I know nothing about Canisius, so uh, I'm going to rely on you to educate me about that team, uh, but I think we have to start with the, uh, the Golden Gophers, the Minnesota ranked number one uh, in the region and in the nation, and they are taking on Canisius. Tell me about the Gophers, and uh, is this just a speed bump for them, or do they have something to to worry about here with uh, with Canisius? Well, I think you know, anytime that you know you're, you're facing a team that is playing with house money like Canisius is, I, I, I think there's going to be a reason for concern because they they've got nothing to lose. I mean, I, I think if I remember correctly, I think Canisius finished like fourth in the in the Atlantic hockey conference, uh, during the regular season. And then they got hot in the postseason here and won, won the Atlantic, uh, you know, playoff title. Um, so they're playing well, obviously, and you know, they've got a little bit of an older roster. Um, you know, that's the one thing with, you know, the, the big 10 teams is, yep, there's, there's higher talent, you know, because you've, you've typically got more draft picks on, on teams in the big 10, but that also means they're going to be younger. Uh, and, and Canisius is a little bit of an older team. Uh, so, it, you know, it's an, it's an interesting matchup, I think, you know, for the Gophers. Uh, but they, you know, I think talent-wise, I think people would tell you that, you know, this Gopher team, you know, this might be the most talented Gopher team in, I don't know, some people are saying 20 years. Um, just up and down the lineup, they've got all kinds of talent and, um, so it, 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 like I said, it's going to be an interesting matchup. I, I'll be real interested to see if, uh, you know, let, let, let's say, let's throw a scenario out there. I mean, if Canisius goes out there and scores the first goal, mm-hmm. um, that's where the, the game could get really interesting. And then we, you know, because, you know, the Gophers are relying on a lot of younger players. Their top line is two freshmen and a sophomore. Um, so it, it'll be interesting to see, I guess, how they react to it. And they're coming off a loss to, to Michigan at home where Michigan came from behind to beat them uh, in their place. So it, it's it's a little bit more intriguing, I think, than uh, people from the outside might think it is. I, I think you're fair. That's fair to say. And you've kind of won me over a little bit here into giving Canisius more respect. I think the age thing is a, a big factor that a lot of people don't think about. Uh, I'm looking at Canisius' roster. Most of their guys are 22, 23, 24. They even got a 26-year-old uh, on the roster, and that is a lot different than when you look at the Golden Gophers. And that that just, uh, sure, they haven't been at the national stage before, but they've got a lot of game experience, and 
there might be some uh, some veteran savvy uh, to that Canisius team. Right. You know, and, and, and the Atlantic hockey, you know, they've now, unfortunately for people who follow me and, and know that I, you know, cover St. Cloud State, I mean, I've, I've seen firsthand a couple of Atlantic hockey teams <laughs> knock off a, a top seed in the region with St. Cloud State losing the AIC one year and, and losing the Air Force another. So yeah. um, I, I, I don't, I, I don't yeah i mean is is it uh you know if you look at numbers wise you know should this be a real close game you know probably not but that you know in these one-off uh you know playoff games i mean it there's a lot that happens within one game that um you know everybody's got a shot i mean that's the fun thing about this tournament I, I was really hoping that Holy Cross would uh, win the Atlantic Hockey just so we'd see Minnesota <laughs> and Holy Cross again like we did a number of years ago with that massive upset. Uh, that would have been fun to, to relive all of that. All right. We, we didn't really take a deep dive on the on the Golden Gophers. Uh, there are so many names that we could mention. I, I've lost count on how many drafted players that they have. But, you know, if for maybe somebody, uh, maybe a casual NHL fan is going to be tuning in this weekend and, and they don't watch college hockey at all. Who are like four or five guys who are just going to immediately jump out uh, for them? Well, I mean, one of the first guys, and and I, and I know you know we're, that we're in Canada, you know, we're on a, I'm on a Canadian radio show, so I mean, people have uh, are are diehard watchers of of the World Juniors. You know, Logan Cooley was like I, I believe he was the leading scorer for Team USA at this past uh, World Juniors tournament. Uh, you know, he's a freshman. First round draft pick, third overall by Arizona, uh, you know, 52 points in 35 games, uh, you know, for the Gophers. He's, he's their leading scorer. Uh, Jimmy Snuggerud, uh, another first round draft pick. He was, uh, he was taken by St. Louis, you know, 49 points in, in 36 games for him. So, I mean, you know, 20 goals. He's another guy to keep an eye on. And then Matthew, Matthew Nyes is, uh, to be honest with you, I mean, the Gophers were a lo- little bit surprised that, that he came back because, uh, you know, Toronto made a pretty good uh, push to uh, sign him last offseason. And, um, you know, he's he's got 41 points, you know, again this season. And, and he's the Big Ten player of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so th- those three guys are on the on the top line. So there's a, <laughs> there's a lot of offense that they get out of those those three guys. Uh, you know, and then, you know, Jackson Lacombe's a, a, a senior. He was a second-round draft pick of, of Anaheim. He's had a really uh, solid season for, for the Gophers. Uh, you know, uh, defenseman, 32 points in 33 games. Uh, and then another guy that, that you know, has spent a lot of time, you know, with, with Team USA. And he's a little bit more defensive-minded, but you notice him because of his skating is Brock Faber. Uh, he's a, he was – he was actually a second-round draft pick of the Kings. The, the Minnesota Wild uh, traded for him this past offseason. He was in the Kevin Fiala trade. Um, so th- those are – there you go. There's five guys, you know, three forwards and, and a couple defensemen that are probably their top players. And I think I counted 14 drafted players. So that's just a, the tip of the iceberg. Uh, there is a lot of depth uh, with the uh, with the Golden Gophers. All right. Uh, let's move – oh, actually, before we move on, the one Canadian on the team – is their netminder in Justin Close, who kind of uh, was a bit of a surprise uh, guy to take over that role a couple of seasons ago when uh, Jack Lafontaine left, right, to go to Carolina. When you look at the goaltending situation for the Gophers, 
Is he a bonafide number one? Like, is there any concerns at all that that might be a weakness for for Minnesota or no? Well, I mean, he t- he took them all the way to the you know to the Frozen Four last season. Uh, you know, twenty three wins this season. You know, he, his save percentage over nine twenty. You know, he, they're barely giving up a little bit over two goals a game when he's in there. So, I mean, he's he's a very solid goaltender, and and like I said, they've got. They're, they've got a really experienced, talented group of defensemen in front of them. So, you know, it's, it's a pretty good combination. He, when There were a lot of concerns when, when LaFontaine, you know, signed last season that, that the Gophers were going to kind of go south because he was coming off a of Mike Richter award and yep. uh, everything else. And Close kind of just picked up the ball and ran with it. And he's, he's shown to be a, a number one goalie ever since that time. The other side of the bracket has uh, the the team that you cover very closely, the St. Cloud State Huskies, and they are going up against Minnesota State. And uh, the Mavericks have been a juggernaut in the CCHA for it seems like a decade now. But they had uh, they came back down to the pack uh, this year, so it was a, not an easy season uh, for the uh, the Mavericks. This on paper looks like a really good matchup to me. Uh, you're a lot closer to it than than I am, obviously. Uh, how do you size up uh, the collision here between? Minnesota State and St. Cloud State. They're they're two very similar teams, and they played one another an awful lot. Even though they're not in the same conference anymore, they they played series each of the last two seasons. They're up here this season, uh, and so they they played twice here. St. Cloud State actually won both those games, but they were they were really good games, and they they play very similar styles. They're you know, they want to play, both teams want to play physical, um, but there's there's some high-talent players on, on, on both teams. Uh, you know, going into the season, goaltending was a huge question for both these teams. Uh, you know, for Minnesota State, you know, the Hobie Baker award winner last season was Dryden McKay, and that was their goaltender for four years. And they, they weren't exactly sure, you know, going into the season, like who was going to, kind of you know that they were wide open in, in that situation and Keenan Rancier is a, a guy that has kind of stepped up in, in particular in the second half of the season they've had a really good second half and he's been uh one of the big reasons why St. Cloud State's similar uh, you know David Rennick had been their starting goalie for five seasons uh and and he graduated and they they were unsure what was going to go on Jackson Castor had struggled a little bit in the in the playoffs last season, Reddick got sick right before the playoffs. Uh, he, he caught pneumonia, and Jackson Castor had not played in a, in a month uh, going into the playoffs. And then they he was forced to to play kind of from there on out, and he ended up losing three games. And they weren't sure, you know, how was he going to handle that mentally, uh, you know, and, and was he going to be able to bounce back? And uh, <laughs> He started an elimination game on Sunday. Uh, he had not played the first two games uh, of this series uh, against uh, Minnesota Duluth in the, in the quarterfinals of the conference tournament. And Caster came out, won the won the elimination game for St. Cloud State. Then he ends up beating North Dakota in overtime with, with North Dakota playing with the season on the line. And then he shuts out Colorado College in the, in the conference championship game. So and then their other goaltender, he's actually split time most of the season with Dominic Bass. He was a Chicago Blackhawks, uh, a draft pick and a transfer from Colorado College. Uh, so, 
either one of those guys, uh, both of them have had very solid seasons. Um, but it, the, the two teams have a lot of similarities. They both kind of lost some, some high-end players from last season. They both had goaltending as a, a question mark going into the season, and, and yet here they both are. And it tells you how far both those programs have come, that, that they're back in the NCAA tournament again. Do you expect Caster to be in net uh, on uh, the, this opening game against Minnesota State? I'd be shocked if it wasn't, uh, you know, at this point. I mean, how do you take a guy out that <laughs> the, that just won a conference uh, championship game yep. uh, with a shout uh, and, and has won three straight games? Um, I, I can't imagine, unless he's injured, I mean, and, and that's not that's not a knock on Dominic, but, it, you know, it's, you know with, when you're in the playoffs, you go with the hot hand, and he's playing well right now. So I, I think he'll start the game, I would, would be my guess. Now they're they're not going to say that, but that would be my my guess. Now the Huskies have depth and uh, offensive uh, offense throughout their lineup. Their top three scorers are not drafted players. They do have three drafted players on their team, um, but the, they're getting it done from guys who might not be household names or recognizable names for the casual NHL fan. I mean, I know who Zach Okabe is because he was a star in the AJHL, but at the, at the collegiate level. You're not necessarily looking for who's going to become the the best NHL player. You're looking right now at who are the best collegians. And St. Cloud State's got a lot of these guys, a lot of weapons for the Huskies. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, as you're mentioning, if you if you look, they got four guys with 34 or more points, and then you know there's there's a couple more, you know, that have 25 points. Uh, Kyler Kupka, who's actually from uh, Camrose, Alberta. And has had a really good season. I mean, he actually missed a month of the season with because he had to have an epidectomy. Uh, but he's got 25 points in 33 games. He's really stepped his game up and uh, has played well for them. Uh, and th- you can go back and forth as to who their top line is, but he's been on one of the top two lines for for St. Cloud State. And then, you know, Grant St. Cloud State had a, basically won the the uh, transfer portal portal lottery uh <laughs> because they not only they get bassy uh who's played you know about half the games but they got grant crookshank uh who's got 22 goals and 35 points uh he he played last season for the gophers but he's taken his game to a different level he plays on the power play he plays shorthanded uh he plays a lot a ton of minutes for st cloud state and then a guy Another guy from Calgary, uh, you know, Dylan Anhorn was having an, an amazing season. Had 20, 25 points as a defenseman in the first twenty-three games, and was leading the team in minutes played. But before a game against Denver, he was doing a warm-up exercise. Had a guy land on his foot, and he broke three bones in it, and had to have surgery. And the season is over. Um, so they've got, you know, as good as. You know, I think that's what's one of the more impressive things, I guess, about St. Cloud State going into this is that it isn't like they haven't had some adversity. They've they've battled through some things uh, to get here, uh, and you take a guy that was honestly, you know, was a legitimate candidate to be a top three Kobe Baker finalist. You take a guy like that out of the lineup, and you're still in the NCAA tournament as a two seed. I think that says a lot about the depth of this team. One guy we didn't mention is Adam Ingram. Didn't he have a five-point game here fairly recently, like about a month ago? Yeah, uh, yeah, he was down. Uh, that was down at uh, Omaha. He had he had a five-point game. He had two goals and three assists. That was end of February. 
uh, yeah, he's, you know, he's, he, you can see the talent, uh, you know, you can see why he's a, you know, a third round draft pick of Nashville, um, you know, but you can also see kind of his youth, right. uh, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a little bit younger player. Um, he's not, he's, you know, the NCHC is, a, it tends to be a little bit older, uh, kind of conference and, you know, a, a little bit more physical of a conference and, and he's, like he's a big body, but he's not filled out yet. I think he's about six foot two and about 175 pounds. And when you see him off the ice, I mean, he's kind of, a, he's definitely a tall drink of water, mm. uh, but amazing hand uh, just, uh, he, and he can really shoot the puck. So, I mean, if, if they can, you know, they, they can get him in, into the right spots. And he's been a staple on the power play for St. Cloud state. McHatton from the rink live is my guest. Now uh, we got to take a closer look. Uh, at the uh, the Mavericks from Minnesota State, and uh, this has been a team that's uh, been so dominant in their conference the last number of years, and they've been to this tournament, and they've done fairly well recently. Uh, I don't know how many carryovers they have, uh, guys who were with them before, although you mentioned uh, that with uh, their goaltender moving on, that's obviously a big change. But guys like Ryan Sandlin and Jake Livingstone and uh, Akito Hirosia, there's a lot of familiar names here, even if they're not drafted guys. Uh, there are a lot of uh, UFA targets for sure for NHL teams. Uh, what do you? What can you tell me about the the Mavericks? Yeah, I mean, you know, and David Silly. I, I, I think I'm saying his, his last name correctly, but you know, he leads them in goals. Got 23 goals, 39 points. Uh, you know, for, for them now, there's a. It sounds like there's a little bit of a question mark. He got a little bit banged up in the in the CCHA championship game against Northern Michigan. So we'll see. I guess if you know how badly banged up he is whether or not he's going to be able to play on Thursday but he's a really talented uh player uh you know up front for them uh you know a, a guy from Ontario uh, undrafted player but uh, a really nice player for them uh you know Jake Livingstone uh you know was the CCHA I think defenseman of the year I, you know this season Talzer with the puck I mean Defensively, we get 35 points in 38 games, particularly playing in that conference. Uh, that's saying something. I mean, he, he's a talented guy. Ryan Sandlin is, uh, you know, a senior. His dad is the head coach at the University of Minnesota Duluth. Uh, he had some big goals for them uh, in the playoffs last season. So uh, you men- mentioned uh, Kito Hirose, uh, another a junior defenseman for them. I mean, they've, they've got a lot of pieces uh Kate Borchert's another experienced guy for them that has played an awful lot of games for them so I mean they've got a lot of experience and like you know and like St. Cloud State they're a little bit of an older team uh they're going to play physical they kind of found their their defensive mojo at the second half of the season it's going to be a fascinating game well I think everybody or most people will probably take the Golden Gophers to come out of this region and get to the Frozen Four it's not going to be easy, though. This is a really tough bracket. And sure, they might get past Canisius, but whoever they play, assuming that the Gophers do, uh, whether it's St. Cloud or Minnesota State, that's going to be a tough game for them. Yeah, I mean, they Minnesota split with both St. Cloud State and with Minnesota State there you go. during the regular season. So, yeah, there's there's... There's no rubber stamp here that says that the Gophers are just going to automatically going to walk their way through this this region. I I think it's you know I I think it's a fascinating 
let's say that the Gophers get through. I mean, if they play either Minnesota State or St. Cloud State, I, those are fascinating matchups. Minnesota State, if you remember, they ended the Gophers season last season in the in the national semifinals. St. Cloud State, Minnesota State uh, played an epic national semifinals game two years ago so there's a lot of history between these uh three teams all right well if i was going to put your feet to the fire uh who is your oh, pick to come boy. out of the region and i know i put <laughs> i put that in an uncomfortable spot because you're, you're so close to st cloud state i know yeah it's it's very uncomfortable i um you know i i i don't know i you know i i I wasn't even sure if St. Cloud State was even going to get out of the quarterfinals. They had really struggled with Minnesota Duluth, and then they they kind of found something in the in that third game of that that quarterfinals game. And then they had they had struggled up at North Dakota with North Dakota uh, about three four weeks before that. They beat the, they came from behind to beat them, and then they they were, played a pretty dominant game against. Uh, Colorado College. Well, Matt Wellens, who covers UMD, brought brought this up. We do a kind of a weekend rewind, and he said, you know, the last three teams that ended Minnesota lose season has gone on to win the national title. So mm. he said, congratulations to St. Cloud State. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see. Uh, you know, I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what. I'll play the homer, and I'll, I'll say that St. Cloud State <laughs> finds a way to to get through this this region but uh i i like i said though i mean i'm i'm not going to be surprised if it's minnesota st cloud state or minnesota state canisius would be a whale of a story if they, if they get through it and i'm not going to say they're not going to uh, you know the stranger things have happened here in the ncaa tournament that's true mick hey listen i really appreciate the time a great preview uh, for this weekend thank you very much enjoy the regional no problem thank you so much for having me there's Mick Hatton from the Rink Live. He will be in Fargo, and he is breaking down that uh, regional for us and doing a s- terrific job setting up uh, those four teams, those three games that we'll have um, for my picks. Well, I, I have to go with the Golden Gophers uh, to come out of the, the region. As a matter of fact, I have uh, Minnesota uh, going to Tampa in the Frozen Four. Uh, I'm going to take St. Cloud State to beat Minnesota State. I will take the Gophers to beat the Huskies in the game, uh, the final of that region which will go on Saturday. So in recap, my Frozen Four would feature Minnesota going against Denver and Michigan taking on Harvard. To finish out my bracket, I have Minnesota and Harvard meeting in the championship game, and I do have the Golden Gophers, the number one ranked team, and yeah, that's kind of a cop-out, I guess, Uh, but I do have the Gophers winning the national title this year. But I'm curious to know your pick, so you can uh, why don't you take a picture of the bracket and put it on Twitter, Send it to me at TPS underscore Gee. I'm going to post mine as well. We can all wallow in our misery as our brackets are busted two or three games into the tournament. I want to thank all four of my guests who joined me this week. And the show is coming out a little bit early because the tournament actually starts on Thursday, which always slips my mind. Uh, so as I'm speaking with you right now, it's Wednesday. I'm just wrapping up and I will put the show together and I will get it out as soon as possible. Uh, So without further ado, that's it. I'm just wrapping it up quick. And uh, next week on the program, well, we'll we'll know who's in the the Frozen Four. CHL playoffs will be set as well. So lots of postseason stuff that we can talk about. Uh, A quick thank you to everybody who's been a 
patron for a long time or a short time. If you're a newcomer to the program and you uh, are wondering what I'm talking about, you go to patreon.com slash the pipeline show early access to all the interviews that you hear on a full regular episode, including all four of these guests that you heard this week. All right, get out and watch some junior or college hockey this weekend so that we can talk about it next week right here on The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. That's me. Have a great weekend, everybody. See ya.